Welcome to Fave This, a podcast about video games, fandom, and internet culture. I am joined this week by Patricia Hernandez. I live, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> also, I'm, I'm alive. I'm so glad. I'm really glad that you're not dead. I think you're great. Um, <laughs> I forgot to introduce myself also. I'm Gita Jackson. Gita! We're here, back again. Getting not this- a Krispy Kreme. <laughs> I, God. Every time I think about that Vine, I want to eat Krispy Kreme donuts. And it's been I, a while. I don't think they're that good, though. I remember. That's how, always how they get you. Yeah. I, like, every time I'm like, I want it. I'm craving it. And then I have it. I'm like, what? It's this just is like not what I imagined. Really bad dough. And it's just covered in sugar. And it's really I mean, awful. that's a donut. That's, I mean, fair. That's what a donut is. Sometimes the donuts have, I like cake donuts. They have better dough. Yeah, okay, to be fair, when I was in Europe, uh, I was having these donuts that were, like, really spongy. Like, I feel like the ones in America are, like, they just hit you like bricks. You eat yeah. one and it just, like, You're I like, want to pass out. I want to go to sleep. Yeah. Yeah, God. I mean, it's the only reason why I don't do... my grave. <laughs> the donut eat a grave. donut. <laughs> uh, all right, so you have been away, and now you're back. Mm-hmm. And the big thing on your plate this week mm-hmm. has been playing Pokemon. Yes, although now that we're talking about donuts, I'm thinking about, have you had malasadas, the things in, in Pokemon, which it seems... No. See, now that, because I've been playing Pokemon, I really want to eat one. The, it, All I'm the sorry food in Pokemon looks amazing. insensitive, but to me, it looks like it's a donut with, like, jelly in it. Do you know what I'm talking about? When yeah. They're they yeah. always like, yeah, let's eat the malasadas. Yep. That's going to be my next Your food next adventure. Your next culinary adventure. Yeah. But that's yeah. not actually what I want to talk about today. I was just thinking about this because we were talking about donuts. Yeah, so I've been paying uh, Pokemon Ultra Sun and Moon, which is going to be out, I think, by the time other people hear this podcast. Um, and it's like 85% the same game as the normal base uh, Sun and Moon. Uh, so in like replaying it, I've... I don't know. I thought a lot more about like the actual game and like what basically I noticed things that I didn't notice the, f- the first time around because mm-hmm. I don't really replay games all, all that often. Um, one of the things that stuck out, out to me this time was Team School. You wrote this this article, right, about like why people love Team School. Yeah. yeah. I personally really, really love Team School. I think that they have so much personality. They're definitely like the best they're not really villains, but they're like presented as the villain group. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so much more. Like try try to remember any of the names of the previous Pokemon villain organizations. I mean, I remember Team Rocket, obviously, but okay. like Rocket. aside from that, yeah, you just like. But Team Skull, you liked them. They were a bunch of fun, and they were like also kind of like failures. So people really related to them. Mm-hmm. So it was like I really vibe with them. I still want one of those medallions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure some mega Pokemon fans that are listening right now are like, I can list every single one, <laughs> and you're not real Pokemon fans or whatever. But no, I yeah, I, I agree. Like, they're just so dorky. Like, yeah. you get the feeling that they want to be badasses, but, like, they're just real. They're, like, punk Pokemon shit posters is the best yep. way that I can describe them because they just kind of, like, rap at you, but the raps are really the raps bad. Are so bad. Are, they're so bad. And they like always. They won't stop like voguing oh my at God. you. Like. Yes, uh, that that animation is like one of my favorite things about <laughs> Sun and Moon, where he just keeps like moving his hands at you like a crab. <laughs> like, really oh cool. shit! Look at <laughs> that's what he looks like. They just won't stop. Like they'll they'll have gotten beaten by you, and they're still doing they're it. Still they're just they're sadly just voguing. <laughs> yeah. I I lost my life savings, but I I gotta keep it up. Oh my god! My favorite is. In Po Town, there's these two girls that you can battle, mm-hmm. and they're they're like little text before they battle you is they are having an argument. Oh and yeah, then they about turn, the shirt. About the shirt. Yeah. But then they turn and look at you and see you. And it's like, oh no, we embarrass ourselves in front of a cute girl. 
like too real. Yeah, and they're they're like fighting over who someone wore the shirt belonging to the other grunt. Yeah, and she's like, "Why does it matter? We're all named grunt. Like no one's gonna confuse you for yeah. Like it doesn't even matter. They're just so ridiculous. So the thing that I like about them is that I feel like every Pokemon game, the villains have like a a goal. Like I want to revive the ancient Pokemon to like take over the world or whatever the whatever it might be yeah i don't know that team skull has a thing like what they i know they just want to work- be team skull they just want to hang out and do hood rat things with their friends <laughs> it's like literally all they want to do like i know they're technically helping uh aether or whatever but like i i feel like most grunts are just kind of aimless like i, I feel like they would just be happy living in anarchy in Town, which is like the the run downtown that they inhabit um, but speaking of Potown, so this is kind of what sparked me thinking about Team School. So I just played through the section in which uh, it's just the city of Team School. And what um, what I noticed was that uh, the gates that bar you from going inside are the same gates that bar you from going into, like, the Pokemon challenges when you're, like, doing trials so mm-hmm. it used i guess it used to be a trial site or something like that um and for those of you that don't know trials are basically this uh game's version of like gyms like you yeah. you go through trials it, it's basically the gym system in all but name like you're still at essentially doing the same thing mm-hmm. so the reason that this was interesting to me is because when you think about guzma who is the leader of team skull when you play the game, you learn that he also went through the island challenge or whatever, and that like the Pokemon that he's using to fight against you are the same Pokemon that he like s- caught through mm-hmm. his journey of the island challenge. Um, you also learn that Guzma failed to become a captain yeah. at some point. Um, so captains and- are basically the new gym leaders, right? Yeah. Right. So he like he was super strong, and I think he beat everyone, but he couldn't become a captain and i just think that in the idea is so interesting and like just like weirdly personal that you're like fighting against someone who failed and yeah. especially like knowing that you the player are like destined to win you know you're going to become the champion and i just, I just kind of have this sense in playing it and talking to guzma that like the system that they live in is not fair like yeah. he's stronger than most of the actual captains, but he he can't actually become a captain for some like arcane reason. And because the game tells you um, that the way the captains are picked are through the totems, which are basically the Pokemon gods that like mm-hmm. defend the islands or whatever. Um, and that they it's they tell you that uh, the totems are just fickle, so you like. They don't always show up when you like go to pray to them or whatever. And there's like a character. Do you remember uh, Hapu? Yes. She like doesn't become a Kahuna until like way late in the game. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though she's technically eligible and she's like clearly very strong, and she, I think either her dad or her granddad was also a Kahuna, but she tells you like. You know, I I was up for it and they just never showed up to make me a kahuna and I had to wait for two years and like go on this adventure and I came back. And then you see in the game she gets turned into a kahuna, but you don't get the sense that it happened for a reason. Like it's not like based on merit. It yeah. literally just seems like the totem was like, oh, all right. I, I feel like making you a kahuna now. Patricia, I'm going to say something that might sound outlandish, mm-hmm. but this sounds like a flawed system. <laughs> Well, that's exactly, yeah, that's exactly why it's interesting to mm-hmm. me that, like, the entire idea of team school is that they exist outside of the system that makes no fucking sense, but that everyone is super invested in and, like, it's tradition, right? Like, all the kids go on this island challenge because everyone's obsessed with Pokemon, and team school seems to be the only group that understands that this, it's just, like, a bunch of bullshit that, like, yeah. makes no sense and is random. yeah. That's so interesting. I mean, I know that I I didn't really pick up on this when I played the game because I was just focused on uh, the type Pokemon shit and mm-hmm. also uh, Guzma as a character who I find very endearing. 
He, I love him. I love Guzma. I actually love Guzma. We have a friend, a mutual friend that used to just DM me like kind of horny Guzma art all the time. <laughs> if you're listening, I would love, I thank you. I loved that. Um, Is there like a genre of thing that he usually does or the way that people like to depict him? Well, sometimes the really cute art that I love um Sort of the idea is that he's like a thug, but he's got a heart of gold. So everyone always draws him with his Pokemon, like affectionately caring for them yeah. and like feeding them and having like everyone. The most popular form of Guzma fan art, I think, are, is people drawing him smiling with his Pokemon. Mm-hmm. So you do get the sense in the game that he like is so hurt when they lose because he is sad for them. Hmm. And... He doesn't like to see them be hurt. Mm-hmm. And he's like a really ineffectual leader of Team Skull because he's like kind of dumb. But when it comes down to it, like he really just cares about Pokemon and, you know, embracing chaos, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the entire idea of Team Skull is like a family, isn't it? Yeah. Because like, what's her name? The the lady leader. She calls them their, her, her little brothers and she like... yeah. She, I think she literally says, yeah, Team Skull might be dumbasses, but they're my dumbasses. <laughs> Which is a perfect rendition of family, yes. really. Pretty like, much, yeah. I feel like that's my, my definition of family. Every time I have the same argument with my mom, I'm like, oh, you. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> Love you so much. But yeah, I just... While playing this, I thought it was really interesting and... I kind of wish that I could play that Pokemon game in which you could be Guzma and like beat everything and then just kind of be told at the end, like, no, you're not going to become you the champion. Play... You're not going to become the the captain. You're not going to become the kahuna. You're not going to become nothing. Like, yeah. congratulations. You went through that entire thing and it didn't mean anything. So you want to play Yoko Taro's Pokemon. That's what you're <laughs> saying. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. No, I... I am so inter like Guzma. I think is like literally the best character that Pokemon has had in a very long time. I think since Team Rocket hmm. and Team Rocket, most of their characterization comes from the cartoon, but Guzma like is so compelling. So I was looking for a fan theory that I remembered about Guzma from the first game, and what I found was an article by Patricia Hernandez, <laughs> which I don't even recall writing. It's but... called "The Four Times um, Pokemon Sun and Moon Got Too Real." Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and there is this fan theory based on the stuff you find in a house that you later realize is Guzma's parents' house, um, and. The first panel that, that is in this post says, I tried to set that boy of mine straight, but when I did, I was the one who got beat. And in the second panel, they the character has gone over to the golf clubs in the corner of the room and says, there are a great number of broken and bent golf clubs in the bag. And a lot of fans theorize that this means that Guzma was abused. Mm-hmm. It seems to imply some kind of adversarial relationship between the parent and the child. But it also, like, when you go to Guzma's childhood room you see so many trophies for him in Pokemon competitions. Mm-hmm. And they're like proudly, proudly, proudly displayed. It is like a very polite young man's bedroom. Mm-hmm. So you have to wonder like... What happened? At what point did Guzma give up mm-hmm. on the straight and narrow path? When did he become a punk? Like, yeah, I but you also see. just don't blame him yeah. for doing it. Like, yeah. I love Team School. I feel like they're more awesome than whatever the hell else is going on in the Your the fucking trials. weird sidekick and the whatever the fuck Aether's doing. Team Skull, I want to actively... I would play like a comedy gag game that's all about Team Skull like taking over Town or something mm. like that. Like I feel like that would be like a really fun game because I, I relate to the goals of Team Skull way more than I relate to this overarching theme of Pokemon, which is about going on an adventure and like emotional strength through traveling and stuff. Mm-hmm. Especially if you know in this world that like you might not necessarily get what you are promised mm-hmm. at the end of your journey. And I know that is also some a life lesson you learn once you sort of go on an adventure, but it's like... That's fucking depressing. <laughs> I don't play that game. No. Yeah, so you earlier you compared uh, or that you said that Team School is the best uh, villain since Team Rocket. Mm-hmm. But I actually think they're very Team Rocket-esque. Like 
not Team Rocket in the games, mm-hmm. I should say, Team Rocket in the anime. Yeah. Team Rocket in the anime is very endearing precisely because they're so bad at what they do. True. They're just kind of, they're, it's just funny to try to watch them keep trying, A, and like fail so spectacularly and just kind of like not even care or like still try to like be happy despite the fact that they can't do the thing that they want to do. Yeah. Isn't there a recent episode of the anime that I don't think has come over to the U.S. yet, this particular episode, Mm -hmm. where Team Rocket wins Mm -hmm. and then they just don't know what to do with that and they feel really weird? Yeah, because it's been literally like over a decade of trying to catch Pikachu and then you can finally catch Pikachu. I feel like I would be in shock. I I wouldn't be able to do it. I wouldn't be able to do it. Like, what is my reason for existing at that point? Like... If I spent a decade trying to do something, I I don't think I'd actually ever want to complete that goal. It's like mm. the end of Millennium Actress. <laughs> she doesn't want to catch him. She's just having a good time. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I totally agree. I think Jesse and James are really great characters because... Icons. They are queer icons. Have you noticed that whenever they have to do disguises, James will do, do a one in drag? I love it. It's amazing. <laughs> That one where they're yeah, playing. Didn't they bring not bring an episode over because he he was too scantily clad yeah, or something? Yeah, he was shit? like a woman in a bikini and he had really big gag boobs. And they didn't bring it over. They did not bring that up. It was like a, one of those beach episodes, which probably was a little bit weird anyway. But mm-hmm. they also just definitely had James in a bikini with huge gag tits. Um, there was a, another great screenshot that always goes around when people talk about Team Rocket, which is um, they're doing a a husband in like a, a marriage scene uh-huh. disguise and. Je- Jesse is the, the the groom and has like brushed her hair all over her face and is wearing this like a baller white tuxedo and James is the bride in just this incredible wedding dress and it's amazing. <laughs> I just love uh, Jesse's hair and I love seeing cosplayers try to pull it off because I it's know. like such perennial anime ridiculous impossible hair. Yeah, that's like Yu-Gi-Oh level of how, <laughs> you know, for anime hair. It's just so long. Like, what? how do you do that? I understand, like, a lot of wigs with sticky-uppy parts. You can do a lot of shit with glue. But, like, the amount of structural support that wig needs <laughs> is, like, amazing. I need a uh, an explainer video on how the physics are can possible. Can a cosplayer please just email us and tell us how they would construct a wig like that? Because what I'm imagining is, like, a... Folds like a metal structure and then extensions go on top of that. Hmm. And it's more like a hat that you tuck your hair (laughs) into. There's like an entire system just supporting it up. It's not yeah. actually, you see here, but there's actually Some an entire thing. Arch- just like architectural stuff going on <laughs> inside of that wig. I mean, there must be like, I don't know, tips in an industry in, in helping cosplayers achieve impossible anime hair, right? Yeah. I'm that, I want to hear about that. Cosplayers, please email us. I want to know. How do you make, what is the like most insane wig that you've had to have? I feel like that would be a great, email me, email me some pictures. That's all <laughs> I'm going to say. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that the reason why these are compelling are because they are lighthearted. Um, mm-hmm. And Pokemon is a show that deals with deep themes sometimes. I know everyone liked black and white because it started to like broach the idea that like, it's really weird that we're making these animals fight each other. But um, didn't go all the way. Yeah. In the end of black and white, they're just like, actually, it's fine that we make these animals fight each other. Actually, it's fine. Don't worry about it too much. But, like, so, like, it's because, like, it's unwilling to actually become the Yoko Taro's Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Pokemon villains, like, they kind of Oh, my God, I would be. play a Yoko Taro Pokemon game. Sorry, keep going. At the end of the game, you have to free all your Pokemon. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, my God. That would be amazing. Um, yeah. like the, But if it's going to be a lighthearted game, like, you have to have kind of like a goofy, cartoony plot. Mm-hmm. Like, they've never... The Sun and Moon, I think, is the most effort they've put into making a plot that is engaging. 
for a, a very long time. Um, but it kind of loses me when you start getting to all the stuff with the Aether Society and the Ultra Beasts and mm-hmm. the Yeah, I don't really care warping. about that stuff. I, I care about... It just about... makes things a little too complicated, yeah. to be honest. My way into the Aether stuff is like... Because Guzma has been totally manipulated by Lusamine. Mm-hmm. Like, I, as a player, care about making sure that he doesn't have anyone taking advantage of him anymore. Mm-hmm. And you don't need, like, uh, Ultra Beasts to make that happen for me emotionally right. as a player. You do just need someone who is, like, behind... You just need a man behind the man who is preying on the insecurities of this young guy. Yeah, I feel like Ultra Beasts are just kind of the product of... Pokemon always feeling like it needs bigger and better and weirder like legendaries because there's just there's yeah. so many of them now. So yeah, I I mean, what made the original legend- legendary so special was that there was just three, mm-hmm. and it was cool that they added three more each game. But they've become really fucking weird. Yeah, I just I can't remember the last time that I really cared about a legendary. Yeah. No, I mean, especially... Maybe Pokemon Emerald, because I remember there was, like, this weird arcane process of getting them. So, like, the, it was more the mystery of, like, mm-hmm. how do I get this Pokemon than it was the Pokemon. And, like, now they literally just sit in my box. There's too many of them. I, I don't yeah. care. I like the one that looks like a deer because I think deer are pretty. Hmm. But that's pretty much it. Like, I don't care about it for any other reason. I just think it's pretty because deers oh, are pretty. Although, to be fair, it's always the cover that makes me decide which one to get. True. So True. I'll pick the game based on which legendary looks cooler, but I won't. I don't actually care about the legendary. Yeah, I do that too. Which one did you end up getting for Sun and Moon? Uh, for the original ones, uh, Sun. And then for this one, I played Ultra Moon. Yeah, so. I think I did the same. I think this, I did the same thing. Because it just the moon one looked uh like a one of those old timey racist cartoons. Oh jeez. It did though. I'm um, not wrong. It kind of did. Yeah, I mean, I picked moon this second time around because it like fuses with Necrozoma, which is the the legendary mm-hmm. right now, and it, I thought that fuse version looked cooler than the Solgaleo fuse version. So I was just like, all right, I'll I'll play this one. If you can tell, I don't sound super enthused about these games. Mainly because they're so similar and I just had to play through all of them again. Mm -hmm. They are good games. I just didn't really want to. In a year like this, it's just stacked. I haven't had time to play Mario. I haven't had time to play, I can't even, whatever else. Yeah, I I play Pokemon again. Let's talk about unfinished games. Okay. Now, I think it's time because that's a good transition into you've also been playing Nier, which mm-hmm. is a great video game. Mm-hmm. And you're at the last ending, but you have not done it. Yeah. So I went through and I got A, B, C, D. Mm-hmm. And I have not gotten E, ending E, which people tell me is the true ending. I've had it spoiled for me like a long time ago. Like I feel like almost like on day two, people were telling yeah. me what happened on ending E. So I know exactly what happens. But now I'm so attached that I don't want to play through that section, even though I know it would be meaningful. But I'm just like, I don't want to do it. I don't yeah. want to do it. You can't make me do it, Yoko yeah. Taro. So my big problem that I've had all year is... Persona 5 is flawed, but I think a really good game, fundamentally, and beautiful to look at, and very fun to play. But I got to the dungeon where, in this Persona, you are going into people's mind palaces and stealing things to change their personality. And in part one of them, a character asks you to steal um, the part of themselves that makes them depressed. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, And I got to the dungeon. Luke Plunkett warned me. He DM'd me, and he was like listen, this game gets really real about what depression feels like. And I was like, I'm excited to play this because that's going to resonate with me. But I have not actually been able to play it because I know it's going to make me feel some feelings. And Mm -hmm. I just haven't really felt 
prepared to get into that stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a pretty hard year. I, like people close to me died. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's been like rough for my mental state. But I think even in a good year, it's hard to engage with uh, video game media that you know is going to make you feel some feelings. That mm-hmm. you know that you know, especially if you're really attached to the characters. It's hard to willingly go into such an engaging experience knowing you're going to come out really upset at the other end. Yeah, po- uh, not Pokemon. Uh, Persona is an interesting example because I feel the exact same way. I know how intense and emotional the games can get because I've played 3 and 4 and other SMT games or whatever. But the reason that I can do it is because the games are so fucking long so I can just kind of spend 90 hours. But then I'll get to the end and just be like, oh, my God, I don't want to say bye to my friends. So I remember spending like 10 or 15 hours just grinding like the last section of Persona 5. I was like massively overpowered by that point. I didn't <laughs> need to keep grinding, but it was like I just kept telling myself like, oh, it's a good source of XP. So I'm just going to do it. But it was yeah. really that I I did not want to see where because like. I don't know, man. The entire point of the of these games is that you become friends and like with these fictional characters and mm-hmm. like it I feel like it the reason that it's so successful isn't necessarily that the characters are written so well because a lot of them are very trophy. Yeah. Uh, uh and like there's all that cliche. stuff like, on and like it's really weird and some of but the like, stuff is really cringy. Yeah, but like you get attached to them anyway because the uh, mechanically the way these games are set up is like routine, right? Yeah. Like you you have a set number of days in which you do X, Y, and Z and you do that every day. So like just by virtue of continuing to interact with these kids, continuing to go to school, like you just grow attached to them in the yeah. same... It reminds me, this is going to be like a very like weird example but like uh when i was like 20 and like visiting my parents for the summer i think from from college i think we found a dog i can't remember the exact circumstances of how we got this dog but it was a little chihuahua and it was just like the worst dog that just shat everywhere it had like diarrhea it was like badly mistreated and i hated this dog at first but then just through the process of having to take care of it I grew to love it, and I feel like it's the same thing with these Persona games that yeah. I'm now comparing great... to a diseased dog. <laughs> That's a great back-of-the-box quote, I think. Persona 5, like a dog with diarrhea. <laughs> no, but like I understand like even the worst parts of Persona are doing this number on your brain that makes you fall in love with the game. Mm-hmm. Like Even when you get like really cheaply like one-hit KO'd in a random battle and you forgot to save and, like for 45 minutes going back into that game and choosing what you do every day and choosing what characters you're going to get to know, mm-hmm. building relationships with characters. Like, a huge mechanic of those games is building relationships with the mm-hmm. characters. It becomes, like, such an emotional trial to finish them, actually. Mm-hmm. That happened to me also with Persona 3. And Persona 3 is a really good video game. And the ending of it is telegraphed at the end like very strongly. It's like the game is all about teenagers having to realize that they're immortal. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of get a sense at the beginning of the game that someone's going to fucking die. Mm-hmm. And I have a save file that I just like let sit on my PSP for like years, actual years, that is right before the final boss, literally right before it. Mm-hmm. Because I knew after I beat that boss... Someone was going to die. I oh, was man. fucking right. <laughs> you uh, know? The song that plays after you beat that boss, like at the ending song, mm. it always gets me so emotional when I when I hear it. Like it's like piano. Have you have you heard it even though you haven't yeah. beaten it? Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. God. And I like you look up the lyrics and it's like all about the person who died. Ugh. It's like it's like directed from the person who survived to the person who died that is the most that is a bitch ass move <laughs> god it's like when you get okay have you seen madoka magica the no. anime it's really really good and it presents itself as a cute like bubbly show and then it slowly gets more and more depressing and that's kind of the gimmick i, I think sort of describing it 
it's not the first time like a magical girl show has done this kind of thing and there are instances in which i feel like the writer is just torturing these like characters for no reason blah 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 but there's like a cute trick in it where you realize that the song that's the opening theme that is all about wanting to see someone again mm-hmm. is directed from one character to another in this like very tragic way there's like hmm. this unsaid mutual love between them that's built in an unconventional way and the the song is all about this character's like longing and need to say see this one person again and at the beginning of the show if you've never seen it before you, you just won't think know that you won't know that you think it's just a cute song mm-hmm. but then when you finish it you were just crushed emotionally every oh, time no. every time it's that's a good show yeah, so Nier isn't the only game that I've done this for. I, okay, so to clarify, I will get ending E eventually. Yeah. I just kind of have to process. I'm still thinking about the game, so until I'm done processing it, I probably won't be able to let go. <laughs> let go. Um, but before this, the last game that I did this for was Mass Effect 3, I think. Mm-hmm. And I, I wrote an article about it at the time because there was just so much uh outrage about the ending that i remember getting very close to the ending and just deciding like i think i had done the the special dlc that like lets you have a good oh, time yeah. with your friends or or whatever it might be um and a then, nice time with buddies DLC. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i remember getting right up to the end of the actual game and just being like i'm not actually going to play through this section because I hear it's bad and like right now all the characters exist in this perfect space like I'll remember them fondly if I don't play through the ending and I don't don't... get mad over the thing yeah they're just crystallized in like amber digital amber for the rest of eternity that that the bad ending never happened for me that's beautiful that's like a beautiful (laughs) image actually no because all Bioware games too they are really dependent on you making a personal relationship with those characters. And then they just do horrible shit to those characters that you've grown to love. And it, like, works very well. I mean, I wrote an entire article about how much I fucking hate Solus because, like, he, as a character, has motivations that are against sort of what I believe is valuable about the world of Dragon Age. Um, But it also, like, creates a situation where... I pretty much only finished Dragon Age Inquisition because I was incredibly depressed and I didn't have anything else to do. Mm-hmm. So it was like, well, it's feel sad or feel sad. So I guess I'm going to go with this kind of feeling <laughs> sad. Um, but it's, it, I don't get this way with movies. I mean, I get this way sometimes with books. I have not finished Infinite Jest. I've been reading it for like eight years at this point. I'll read a novel sized portion. And then I'll realize that the more book I read, the less book exists. Hmm. And I like put it down for a couple of weeks and the couple of weeks becomes a couple of months. And then I'll think, man, I should really finish Infinite Jest. And yeah, then... there's certain books that I like just I start and then I stop and then I like I'll I'll forget what happened. So then I have to start it over again. And I'm just kind of trapped in this like time loop of like every few years trying this book again. And I feel like Infinite Jest is probably going to become one of those yeah. books. I'm just never going to get through, but I'm going to keep half-assedly trying. Yeah, I mean, I, I, Foster Wallace is a complicated thing. There's this great essay from, I forget her name, but she's a lovely essayist, and she wrote this great essay about just, like, being recommended David Foster Wallace by people, and then finally actually reading Foster Wallace and feeling like, the it had been ruined for her in some way because mm. so many especially men had recommended it to her in these like overly aggressive ways that made her feel like she hadn't read it then she didn't know anything about books mm-hmm. and then she read it and like she she got it but it wasn't the thing that they had recommended to her mm-hmm. because nothing could be that thing right um but i think his writing's really good his essays are good a supposedly fun thing i'll never do again is a very funny essay about why cruise ships are bad <laughs> um so yeah, yeah I want to read that. It's on my, like, wish list. Yeah. So I'll get to it eventually books? after I get through my big-ass backlog of yeah, books God. and games and comics and TV shows and It's so everything hard else. to fit books in. I feel like now that especially I'm, I'm on a different train line now, mm-hmm. and the train I used to be on, I used to maybe sometimes be able to get a seat and sit down and read a book on the way. That's how I finish a lot of books. 
Now I'm only on the train for 15 minutes and usually it's so packed by the time I get on it, I can't mm. sit down and read a book. And when I'm home, I think, well, I should do chores or I should play this game for work or I really want to catch up on my TV. But I never think I need to sit to down and read a book. Yeah. I've made an effort to read more because I kind of feel like reading the internet too much just kind of melts your brain because the way in which things are written online is very different from like how you would read a book and I'm not necessarily saying that a book is better but it's just like a different mode of writing that like I can and if I want to improve my writing I feel like it's just useful for me to read real shit that isn't just stuff on BuzzFeed or whatever it might be Mm -hmm. so what I do usually is I'll read a little bit before going to bed it's like my wind down thing and then smart on the weekends i'll usually like make myself read x number of pages of a thing whatever it might be like i'll make goals for myself like i want to finish this book by this this time so yeah actually finishing meet me in the bathroom felt like such an accomplishment because i'd wanted to read it for months didn't start it and then when i finally got to the last page i just felt really good about myself the thing about finishing things is actually like you kind of need that emotional catharsis mm-hmm. of actually seeing something all the way through. I know once I finish Persona 5, it's going to feel really good, especially because I've made such a strong connection to the characters. But it's also like it's really difficult to get yourself in the headspace where an ending feels like the right thing. But I think it's also interesting because... If I'm into a book or if I'm into a movie or if I'm into a TV show, chances are really, really good that I'll finish it. Yeah. Like, I, I've never really been in a situation where I was like, yeah, I like that thing and then I didn't finish it. Whereas with games, like, all the time, like, it, be, and especially because, you know, the people equate length with value. So these games that are, like, 80 hours, 90 hours of, like, padding keep getting yep. made and... So I just, there's a shit ton of games that I never finish. Like, I'll finish games for review or if I'm writing about something, like, I want to make sure that I've played about the thing that I'm writing so that I'm, like, informed. But if if I'm just playing it for fun, more often than not, a game might sit unfinished. And, like, I'll I'll play enough to, like, get a sense of what it is Mm -hmm. and just... Yeah, there's a lot of instances where I have, like, sadly looked at, like, my PS4 library and thought well, I'm just never going to finish this. Mm -hmm. And I delete it. And that's just the fucking truth, though. Yeah, I mean, it's it's different with movies and it's different with TV also because I kind of need to always be doing two things at once. Mm -hmm. And I you can multitask while you're watching a movie. You can fold laundry or do the dishes. Mm -hmm. With the game, it needs your full attention, which is part of why it makes it so engaging and why those relationships you have with characters are so strong. But also, like... My laundry's not getting done. Right. I super always need to do the laundry, and it doesn't get done while I'm playing a video game. Yeah, I was trying to solve this problem recently because I have a treadmill, and I was like, what if I could play my 3DS while I'm on the treadmill, and I tried it, and of course it didn't fucking work. It doesn't fucking work. It sucks. But I'm like considering getting a stationary bike so I can maybe be on my 3DS or something while while I'm doing it because... Right now, my problem is that, like, I have time to work out, but, like, the more I do it, the more time it takes, and I feel like I feel bad. Even though I'm doing something that is literally healthy and, like, very good for me, it's just, like, I see it as, like, time wasted, in which I'm not doing a thing that I could be... I'm having this exact problem. My roommate um, goes to the gym, like, a bunch. She also has a pretty demanding job, um, but she takes work home with her a lot less Mm -hmm. so she goes to the gym pretty regularly monday wednesday and saturday mornings and there's an open invite for me to come i just get home and i'm like i gotta do some more shit though like i have Mm -hmm. to i want to check out this game and i can't play darkest dungeon at the gym Mm -hmm. unfortunately yeah but i mean like also i think it's easy to get into those modes of thoughts where you're like i don't have time for this and you probably do i like it's I feel like there are certain things that always fall there for me and it's very easy for me to tell myself like that I don't have time for it, like exercise or cooking for myself. And so I've just been trying to make more of an effort to like 
understand that I do have time for it, but it's just, my problem is more just feeling like I'm not maximizing that time because I'm only doing one good thing yeah. instead of like half-assedly doing <laughs> two different things. I got extremely called out for that exact behavior at work recently. Oh, no. Just half-assedly doing two things instead of doing one thing to the best of my ability. It's such a bad habit. But you were like right. Like actually, it's better to concentrate fully on one task than to try to bring your book to the gym. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm complaining about this now. But on the flip side, so I don't listen to podcasts while I work out because like I have to actively listen. I can't just listen in the background. But I do listen to music. Um, but usually, even because I'm not doing something that actually requires me to like think about it. I actually do some really good thinking and I just like think about my life. Is this where you come up with all your really good pitches? Because No, (laughs) no. I'm usually thinking, fortunately, not about work during that time. I'm usually thinking about like personal relationships or where I am in my life. Just like, yeah. And that's where I'll be like, oh, that thing I did was really stupid. Like, why did I do that? Like, I'll, I'll process my feelings about things that are happening in my life. But I can only do that because I'm not doing two things at once. Yeah. God, that's so fucking real. <laughs> Damn. Like, you just really laid. Like, I feel like you. I got to read right now. Because <laughs> I do this. Like, I noticed this. Okay, maybe this is like a weird uh, confession. But I noticed this that, like, sometimes I'll be sitting there. And it's not that I'm bored, but, like, I'm not doing anything. And I'll start thinking about things and I like start getting scared because like the thought of just being alone with my own thoughts is like, what the, like, no, like this is too much. So I feel like I sometimes engineer situations in which that doesn't happen. So like sometimes I'll literally even be on the shower looking at my phone, <laughs> um, trying not to get my phone wet or whatever, but like. I've had moments in the shower where I'm listening to a different gaming podcast and I think I like I actually have like gotten out of the shower, gone to my phone and written a note because they said something that I'm like, I could write an article about that and gotten (laughs) back in the shower. But yeah, I feel like there are just very few moments in which I'm alone in my thoughts unless I'm exercising. Because like if I'm going to sleep, I'm probably either reading or like looking at Twitter until I like feel extremely tired and can just fall asleep. It's really easy with the takes on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so maybe it isn't a problem, but I feel like it's it's a problem. Yeah, no, I I think that's definitely a problem. I think like most of my sessions in therapy have been about my uh, inability to be alone with my own thoughts. But it's fucked up, man. It's like hard. I think it's shitty things. It turns <laughs> out I think like deeply damaging and incorrect things about myself. I had this moment this morning. I was you know, I was asked if a draft was gonna be ready, and I was like, I don't know. And then I, I, cause I had psyched myself out like coming into work knowing that a draft was due and thinking it like. I'm a bad writer and, you know, like, I don't, I didn't do my due diligence on this. And then, like, sat down and started writing it and I was like, oh, actually, I have all the materials that I need and I'm fine. And I'm just fine. But that, well, I mean, that's the other part of it, too. Just your brain being, like, convinced that everything is awful or whatever. But, like, I feel like that's what initially happens when you don't have enough time to, like, actually, like, face what's going on. Like, it... If I had, like, time to myself where I could just, like, really deeply interrogate why I believe that the thing that I got hired to do for money is the thing that I'm really bad at, um, then I could probably better deal with those feelings, you know? Mm-hmm. I could... I could Processing. Yeah. It's hard. It's so fucking hard, man. <laughs> uh, that suddenly got very... Uh... We got really deep at the end, but I feel like... I feel like it all comes around. Honestly, it's it is I mean, the reason why we haven't finished these games is because we have to sit and process how we feel about them. 
See, you said that. Mm-hmm. I remember that you said that. That's why you have to, you're waiting to finish near. It's because it's making, you have to sit and be, it's, that is such a special game that mm-hmm. really does the thing that I like most that games can do, where like, as it happens in life, it presents you with some choices or situations and you have to take an action and then you just kind of have to decide how you feel about it. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, a lot of games will present you with uh, this was a good outcome or a bad outcome. Mm-hmm. But in near, there's just outcomes. Well, I think the special thing about games is that you spend so long with them and like you you kind of alter your thoughts to like be in the mode of like, I know how to do all these like arcane mechanics of whatever, like I know how to fuse the personas in like special ways and like all this weird mechanical things that go on in this game. So you like get real, like really like meshed with these games and you spend so long with them and then you beat them and it's like you're snapped back to reality and it's done like that thing that you spent 80 hours on and that you like immerse yourself in and that was like all that you thought about for like a period of time it's done there's no more of it like you can't get to know these characters any like you're never gonna have another first time playing this game it's like weirdly intense in a way that reading a book or watching a movie isn't yeah And you don't have to learn how to read books every time you read a book, you know? Mm -hmm. You kind of already know how to read a book. Yeah, you just go through this entire process of, like, literally learning how to walk and talk in every game, and then it's it's over. Yeah. I mean, God, it's very true. That's And then you have to just sort of sit with all of this, yeah, like, arcane knowledge of uh, using personas or what chip layout you're going to put into B or mm-hmm. that kind of shit. And it's just, that stuff is gone. And then that just goes with... into your mental trash bin because like, what what can you do with that? But like for me, usually what gets me is like, I'll spend all this time getting to know the characters and like you feel close to them because like you're simulating a relationship with like, not, I'm not saying that like every game lets you romance, but like, a lot of games let you pick dialogue options or whatever it might be. You will make... get fond of the characters even if you aren't explicitly told to romance them. You'll mm-hmm. still grow attached to them. But then you finish the game and like you keep thinking about them and you keep growing as a person, but they're it's static. It will never change. Like yeah. they'll not grow with you. They won't. Yeah, they don't know. mature with you like people do. And I feel like when you revisit books, because I sometimes reread books like mm-hmm. sort of like comfort food, I always like to, every once in a while when I'm feeling really low, like once every couple of years, I'll reread the third Harry Potter book because it's my favorite. And, oh, okay. Um, and it, it is just I find it comforting because when I revisit it, I find different things in the book because my life has changed. Mm-hmm. Sometimes games feel so static that I don't find new themes when I revisit them mm-hmm. or it doesn't feel as worthwhile to go back and play a game and find those new themes because... Mm-hmm. In the middle of that, you're also going to be like, okay, let me min-max like, this thing or let me make sure that I don't – that I make these particular choices because I want to see these particular outcomes. Um, you can reread books and feel surprised by them again. Hmm. I don't as frequently find that with games. I mean, I, I, I have replayed Well, I think the some, thing about you know. games is that a lot of them – the basis of playing them is, like, very rote and mechanical, mm-hmm. right? Like – you know, by the end of Nier Automata, I've fought against the same enemies like so many dozens of times that like fighting them again in like a year or two isn't necessarily going to give me a different experience, if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. maybe I'll be in a different place and I'll like take some of the writing in a different way, but like the actual act of playing it won't necessarily feel different. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That is definitely true. You're not going to find new things in the controls for the most part when you go back and revisit games. Unless it's one of those games that's about, it's like capital A about how they handle. Mm-hmm. Most games that are, are you're not going to rediscover something really interesting about the controls when you go back in. Usually it's what you see with what you get. And it never feels like, sometimes like in, like in Destiny when you like pick up a gun and it shoots real good, you're like, damn. Love how this feels, but you're mm-hmm. not going to get that feeling again. But it's going to be the same every time it's, you shoot it, right? It's like, going to be the, the exact same every time you shoot it. And that's comforting in its own way. Right. 
but it's not like the the fascination of going back into a narrative and being like fuck i just saw something in this sort of that in the subtext that i didn't see before mm-hmm. and i mean i have gone back to games that i played as a kid and gotten something else out of them but it's usually because i changed and i'm not deciphering it in the same way versus mm-hmm. like this text has many different layers yeah. i just didn't peel them back in that way the last time yeah i think that the two games that we're having problems finishing do have that thing that literary literary quality where there's a lot of different layers and i think that's also for me emotionally that is a big reason why i can't like i don't want to finish it because i know that it's something that i'm going to have to sit with and think about for a long time in the same way that i have to sit and think about books that have a lot of subtext and text and a lot of layers and a lot of information that i need to process um like, I know that when I finish Persona 5, which is a game that I know, like, isn't perfect, I will still have to... I, they present a lot of really interesting questions mm-hmm. that they don't give definitive answers to, and I'm going to have to untangle my thoughts about it. Yeah, I think part of the reason that I perceive games in the way that I was just describing is I have this problem where if I replay a game... I will often just make the same choices, even mm-hmm. though there are many different other choices, because like the way I played it the first time was the way that I wanted to play it. And I don't want to see the other ones because I thought this route was the yeah. best one. So maybe that's I'm sure. And I say this because I'm sure there are listeners who are like, I've gone back to a game and like it was totally different the second time around, like mm-hmm. two years from now. But maybe this situation for me that it always feels the same is constructed because it literally i literally <laughs> pick the same shit every time yeah i remember when i tried replay um the first time i replayed dragon age i felt like i had to choose a romance and i was like okay i romance iron bull i can't romance iron bull again i just have to choose a new character guess what it felt like i was breaking up with iron <gasps> bull i did choose someone else but like it hurt like it hurt me badly to like have to oh, I thought you were gonna say that you that you just ended up romancing him again I came real close okay I was like it was very courageous of me and I feel like I should be awarded something <laughs> but I I got to the point like I I did like I had this moment where I was like at the romance trigger for Iron Bull and I was like I can just do this again because mm-hmm. I love this romance or I can see what else the game has to offer and I, like, got up and made a sandwich because I, like, didn't know what to do. And when I came back, I made the choice. But it was, like, it felt like it felt like breaking up with someone, you know? Mm-hmm. It felt like you were shutting the door on, like, all these, like, very meaningful romantic experiences. Um, and it was really striking how bad it made me feel to not do that again. It's so hard. It's so – it's, like, actually super-duper hard in – Dragon Age especially to choose choices that are different because I always play as myself in games. And I know that mm-hmm. most people don't do that, but I feel uncomfortable. Yeah, I can't get into yeah. the whole like role playing like this character is supposed to be lawful good and they would always choose this this thing in this situation. I no, can't do that. I, can't, I do that. can't do it. When I make a character, it's me. It's like always me. And I, I want them to do things that reflect my values. Mm-hmm. And I can't like have it any other way unfortunately Mm -hmm. i just really super duper can't um so it makes replaying games you know maybe i've changed a little bit but not all that much Mm -hmm. um and i'm probably i think the things i value are haven't changed that much since i was a kid they've just become more nuanced and have stronger definitions to them so I can't replay a game where you make more, like different choices and make radically different choices. I like can't even kill my Sims, you know. Really? Yeah, you, I am you're not a big one of the Sims player, and you've never killed a Sim. I can't do because I don't. I make characters. I get attached to them, and then I don't want them to die. I want them to have successful careers and a lot of children. Oh my god! I'm sorry. <laughs> Literally, the first thing that I did when I played the Sims for the first time was kill the Sim. <laughs> I feel like it's a rite of passage. I mean, it's happened by accident. I accidentally set a accident? sim on fire. Oh, my God. She was burning. Okay, it was Sims 4. I didn't know in the Sims 4 they don't have I, firemen. I'm impressed because I have 
tried explicitly to like engineer situations that are just like you're gonna if this were real life you would be dead three times over you would become barbecue and the game made it so hard for me to actually kill the sim like I would I would put uh, racks of barbecue around them and like flammable rugs next to a fireplace and like I would just keep cooking and like I would just engineer those situations and you wouldn't die so I'm surprised that you were able to to you it explicitly so... try to stop the fire and you can it was like right in the beginning of this like the cycle of the sims 4 existing and I didn't realize they took out in the sims 3 firemen would come to your house and you, oh. could, you could call the firemen so you were so just waiting for the I kept like call like looking at the phone option and being like where is the fireman option <laughs> and in the meantime she fucking burned to death <laughs> Gita, Jesus Christ. It was like very, very upsetting. (laughs) And you were like, never again. No, I can't see another Sim die. I like don't know what I'm going to do when the pets I've made die in the Sims. Wait a minute. Don't they, don't uh, Sims age? I guess you can turn it off. Sims age, they will die eventually. I'm okay with dying of old age though, because like that's natural causes. I'm not deliberately causing their deaths. Okay. But like it's going to be different. When I've made a lot of families like and have them like make them cute cats and dogs, mm-hmm. I like don't know what's gonna happen when one of those dogs die. <gasps> wow, <laughs> like what's gonna happen? I like, I'm really afraid of the moment when one of my dogs becomes a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> can the can the pets haunt you? Yeah, the pets can be ghosts. They'll haunt you. Oh my god, that that part sounds tight, but like I don't want them to die. Oh my god, I, yeah, I've. How do I even phrase this? I love my pets so much that I like ob- mildly obsess over the idea that they might die one day because I don't want them to die. Oh so yeah, God. I feel like this would be traumatic. But going back to The Sims and not this like weird. <laughs> Let's not talk about death. Let's okay. not do that. <laughs> um, I remember being so pissed. When because I, I I came to The Sims late and I didn't know how it worked and I was just playing I was having a good time and then all of a sudden my Sim aged into like old manhood and I was yeah. like what the fuck is this like why is he <laughs> old now what is this I've only been playing for like two days and now he's like using a cane yeah unfortunately they become old I used to when I was a shallow teenager. What I would do was I didn't like raising the kids in The Sims 3 because it was just took a fucking long time. So I'd go off and I'd play a different family until my kids and the family I was like I was playing aged up into teenagers. And then I would keep playing those and I'd play those families until they were elders and like had had children of their own. And then I would move the kid out because I didn't want to play as an old character. <laughs> and you just So basically them. just like handsome teenagers and young adults those were the only ones I played, and I just sort of like, yeah, I just forsaked all the characters that I wasn't interested in playing. What's funny to me about this is that you made that choice even though you can just turn off aging, right? It didn't, <laughs> it didn't feel as real to me if they didn't Oh, my age. God. Okay. It didn't feel as real to me unless I <laughs> abandoned them. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I feel like I'm revealing a lot about my attitudes towards the elderly. <laughs> No, I mean, I was just, like, shallow. Like, when I was a 16-year-old, I was like, I want to play myself and whatever celebrity I have a crush on right now. And when they get old, like, the idea of me and that person banging is no longer attractive. Because they're old, you know? They've had a long, happy life. It's fine. But I want to go back and make another version of me and the new celebrity that I have a crush on. (laughs) And play that family for and a just while. Keep, just keep going. Oh, my God. You should open. I don't know if you still have the save files from uh, when you were younger. But if you do, I feel like you should go and, and visit the old, the old all the old characters that you abandoned and see oh what they're God. up to now. I should take a look. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> just see like an old, I don't know, old The Rock or something. God. <laughs> like what he's done with his house. One of the first celebrity crush sims I had was... Connor Oberst from Bright Eyes. Okay. He was a musician and he cried a lot. And, you know, we had a very beautiful relationship. (laughs) And now who knows where he is? Who knows where Connor Oberst is in life or in The Sims? (laughs) All right. So we have a new review from SNRKMC. It's a five star review. And the title of it is Like Hanging Out with Gamer Friends. 
Uh, Listening to Patricia and Gita talk video games, pop culture, and life is a fun treat every week. I randomly downloaded the episode about Nintendo's great year, and I've listened to every episode since. It's a podcast I look forward to. They have well-thought-out and balanced conversations and is not bogged down with inside jokes that new listeners can't get into, unlike many longer-running podcasts. Highly recommended. Well, user with a name that is a series of letters that I can't pronounce... (laughs) That's like very thoughtful, and I read this this morning and was really touched. So thank you so much. I'm really glad you like the podcast. Um, you should leave us reviews on iTunes because that will really help with visibility. Um, and you can also find our podcast on Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and iTunes I already mentioned. So you can also find it there. Um, Patricia, where can people find you online? kotaku.com and also on twitter as xpatriciah yeah i feel like we haven't said our twitter handles in a while so you can find me on twitter at xoxogossipgita and i also all of my writing is up on kotaku.com that's where i write to earn money to live <laughs> i want to give a shout out to executive director of audio uh, mandana mofiti and i also want to give a shout out to melamix who composed our theme song and Stuart wood who did the music that you hear before the commercials Um, I think that's all for us. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye.